church. And while they walk out, you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going to take a break uh, from the book of Numbers. And we're going to celebrate a little bit. If you were here with us last year, then you know what this day is. Romans 15, 4. Romans 15, 4. It says this. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So church, let's, let's pray this morning about God's Word. Father, we just thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You for what it means to us. God, and we also thank You for what we have the opportunity to celebrate today. Lord, I pray that You would just bring to our understanding for us as individuals what that means for us, the truths of Your Word and how it applies to us, Lord, and the work of Your Spirit on behalf of Your Son, Jesus, in the life of believers today. God, we just love You. Lord, we praise You and thank You in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So like I said today, if you were here with us last year, then you knew around this time that we celebrated and kind of started a talk that we wanted to continue every year <clears throat> around the idea of Reformation Day. Now, if you don't know uh, what Reformation Day is, it's a, it's a, or, uh, technically Reformation Day is tomorrow, but this would be Reformation Sunday. And so the, the, the idea of the Reformation, something that happened, you know, starting back in the 1500s, even right before that, what this means and what we celebrate is kind of a, you know, breaking down the word, a reformation. A reformation of how we see God, a reformation of how we approach God, and a reformation of how we, as we say we, the church, gets to God. You know, and in last, uh, last year, we, had, we started to talk about uh, one of the major influences in the Reformation being Martin Luther. And we kind of began to talk through that process of who he was and what he was. And, you know, for Martin Luther, his main focus was on faith and how that relates to how we get to God and how we're saved and by faith. And, you know, he struggled through being worthy. He struggled through his works and how he would ever be good enough to get to heaven until he came to the understanding when God's word revealed to him and began to reveal to him the truths of what the church had gotten away from teaching that salvation came by faith and by faith alone the apostles that's what they were teaching that's what Paul was teaching but you know as the church kind of started to change and become more of a political force and became part of the Roman Empire things things just weren't presented in the way that that the people knew they needed to be seen and so you know, what we want to take this day around this time every year to celebrate is the individuals who played a part in the movement. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, what, what this, you know, where things went wrong. You know, so when we asked the question, you know, why was a reformation needed? We kind of specified some of the things that happened. But, you know, the, the reformation was needed because about 200, you know, it happened uh, or about 250 years after Christianity, around 60 AD, uh, and then 250 years after that, when the Christian movement really began to pick up pace. It really started to grow, and the, the governmental system didn't like that. And so then a lot of things happened in 64 AD. Well, then about 250 years after that, a new emperor comes in to rule, Emperor Constantine. Hey, and you know what's really awesome about that? This is history. I mean, these are things you can look up that in, in world history that our Bible is spelling out for us. So just another, just for us to understand that this, this book, what we read here, is it, it isn't fairy tale. This is a history book of truths. And so what happens is that Nero 
Nero, Constantine, uh, 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 he comes into rule and he sees this group growing. And so he decides, he says, you know, if we can accept parts of this faith and kind of take it as our own, we may kind of begin to unite the nations of the Roman nations and really see our influence grow. And so what Constantine does in this is that he, he begins to be the first emperor to accept Christianity with the understanding that there was going to be some differences. He was going to try to make the Christian faith a little different so that it would be acceptable to some of the other pagan beliefs, non-believing nations around it. And so then we begin to see a, 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 a faith, we begin to see a Christianity that was moving away from the original vision of the apostles and how they had presented it. And so that church that would grow and become more of a, instead of a, the, you know, this legalized Christianity that he saw to unite the nations of Rome, you know, this church became more of a political power rather than a spiritual force of humility and servitude. It became something where they were influencing power. This is where the crusades come in, where they're murdering people. If you don't join what we're a part of, then you will be killed. You will be imprisoned. You know, so you hear about that in the history books, you know, the crusades. They went all over. And so this was the Roman Empire pushing this, a part of what they called, they used the word Catholic because it means universal, but they called themselves the Roman Catholic Church because it was a part of the establishment of Rome, a part of the political influence of Rome. And they were using that to tax people. They were using it to oppress people. They were using it to, you know, if you gave money, then you would be forgiven, like all these things. And so that's when we talked about last time, people like Martin Luther, he said, you know, that there, we shouldn't have to pay our way, literally monetarily pay our way either by money or by good works, because that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture says we are saved by faith in the Son of God who came and died on the cross for us. And it's by faith we are saved, not by works of our own, so that what? No man could boast, so that I could never say that I'm saved because I was good enough and I'm saved because I'm better than you. So you're not saved because you're not good enough. You know, that's not what it was about. And Luther wanted to make sure that they understood that. Well, then there are other pieces to this puzzle. There are other people that are a part of this even kind of jumping off of where Luther would be. And there were people even before Luther that were starting this, but we'll talk about them another, another time. But today I want to focus on another man, another man that, that, that without his influence, without his influence, we would not be reading from what we have the opportunity to read this morning. And his name was William Tyndall. His name was William Tyndall. So just to kind of lay some groundwork and I'll be quick this morning, but just to lay some groundwork this morning to understand a little bit about who this man is. Because what's, what's amazing about all these people that we will celebrate every year around this time, these were regular people. Regular people with regular families, regular jobs, regular things, with the difference being that they stepped into the calling that God had for them to make a difference despite the threats. Despite the issues, despite how people would see them, despite their own imperfections. We talked last year when we talked about Luther, we knew he, he had a propensity to be angry. He had a propensity to lash out. He had issues, but God used him. God used him in the midst of his movement. So Tyndall, William Tyndall was a man. He was born in 1994, uh, not 1994, 1494 in Western England. He was born to a farming family, very humble family. Very, you know, they were, they were work, working class people. They were doing what they needed to do to contribute to their community. And he, from there, as he grew, he went to Oxford. He earned his master's in 1515 and was ordained into the priesthood. Very similar to Martin Luther, is that he was ordained into the priesthood. He was feeling this call from God to participate in the spiritual walk of his life and other people. And so within that, 
You know, in, in, in 1520, three years after Luther posted his 95 Theses, remember the Theses being all these things that he saw that the church was doing wrong and against Scripture. And he posted it on the doors and people saw it and distributed it and passed it around. So three years after that, Tyndall was attending Cambridge and he would become exposed to some of the teachings of Luther through a small group who were meeting to discuss what they called the new theology, this new idea about who God is and what God does and how God engages with his people. And so in this, in his calling to minister, as we as all Christians should have this calling in our lives to minister to people and to see people become a part of the family of God, Tyndall, William Tyndall started to have this revelation that he, would, he said, would say that, he, that England, he realized England would never be evangelized using a Latin Bible. Because in this time, the only scripture that was available was the Latin Bible, that that's what the church would use. And the only people who knew how to read this, because the language was, was pretty much dead and gone at this point, the only people who knew how to read this would have been the priests would have been the people of, of the, in the hierarchy, kind of the high-ranking religious people. Those were the only people that knew it who could read it, right? And so he knew. He knew that the, the world is not going to be reached for the gospel if people don't have the word of God. And he actually said it like this. He said, it was impossible to establish the lay people or the regular people in truth except the scripture were laid before their eyes and their mother tongue are in their original language. And so this passion began to stir up in William Tyndall where he said, people need to hear and see and read the word of God in their language to know that the God of the Bible, that the God of the Bible is just as much for them as he is for the high ranking religious people. He, they need to know that the God of the Bible is speaking to them. You know, because all throughout the Old and New Testament, we see different languages. But the word of God, the scripture was always made in a way where people could understand it. It was until the church became the government that the government church began to dictate who could read and see and learn the Bible. And so they had it in Latin. No one learned Latin except for those people. So they were the only people that could teach it and tell it. And so William Tyndall, being a part of this process, wanting to see the world around him evangelized and brought into the family of God, understood and knew that they need to see God's word. They need to hear God's word. And they need to be able to read it with their families. They need to be able to read it with the people that they love. And they need to be able to read it with their local churches. He had a passion for God's word and he wanted to use it to draw people into the family of Christ. He said this, he said, do you know who taught the eagles to find their prey? Well, the same God teaches his hungry children to find their father in his word. He knew. He knew that that same God is leading us to what? His word, his revealed word. There's a reason why this book, you know, not literally this specific translation or these pages, but the truths in this have been carried on for thousands of years and have stood the test of time through, you know, three different languages, original languages, four, over 40 authors 
you know, thousands of years in between and to still have a, a cohesive message from beginning to end where there's no, there's no contradictions, there's no areas at which it speaks against itself, that if we see a contradiction, it's because we're misunderstanding the context of what's happening. And so when God gave us this, His intention throughout all of history was for us to have somewhere to go to find our Father. To know who our God is. So that in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of navigating cultural experiences that are difficult, navigating uh, marriage, navigating our, our, our raising children, navigating friendships, navigating our, the, uh, being citizens of this world, just navigating life in general, He knew that we were going to need a place to go to, a revealed word to find our Father. And so he tell, Tyndall said, he said, listen, that same God that shows the eagles where the prey is is the same God who shows you your Father in His Word. He knew that we needed that. He knew that we needed that. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ, or the Word of God. And so in that, Tyndall began a journey using his knowledge of Greek and Hebrew to translate the Bible into English. You know, and this would have been a very tedious process. You know, they didn't have MacBooks sitting in the corner typing away. You know, very limited printing presses. Most of it being handwritten at this point. But just like Luther, when he began to want to translate the Bible into English, just like Luther, it was met with opposition. He would set up meetings... He would, he would meet with church leaders in 1523. Shortly after he began his journey, he would meet with church leaders to discuss writing this English translation. You know, in him having this skill set, having this knowledge of Greek and Hebrew, being able to read the original text and be able to translate it into English, he was opposed. The church leaders opposed him. He would become a hunted man like a criminal. He would have to exile himself, live in exile, and run for the rest of his life because of this task God had set him on. You know, in the midst of one of his discussions, and I've mentioned this before, but in the midst of one of his discussions when he was, when he was debating with these religious people about why they needed the Word of God to be available to regular people like me and you, he said this. He said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. He says, if God spare my life ere many years... He says, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you. Man, what, what confidence and what just intensity and passion to stand before the basic, basically the, 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 the king of the world at that point, being the, the pope, the religious leader, in the center of the Roman government to say, the, 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 the scholar, supposedly the scholar, the most knowledgeable, the most holy, the holy of holies, they call him, the vicar of Christ, to stand in his company and say, I defy the Pope, and I, I, if I live long enough, I'll make sure that the boy pushing the plow knows more Scripture than you do. Because he knew. He knew he needed it. He knew it didn't matter what your ranking was, but he knew the people needed to know what God had to say about who they were, that they knew that, God, that God's people needed to know what God has to say about what God's doing for His people, how God's people get to Him. Because 
when it was being communicated through the religious hierarchy, they were saying, hey, you've got you've to pay this, you've got to do this, you've got to do all these checklists, and if you're lucky, maybe you'll end up in that middle ground, which they call purgatory, that middle ground in between heaven and hell. And if you've made enough friends and been good enough to other people, then maybe they'll pray you out of purgatory one day. Maybe it's two days, maybe it's ten days, maybe it's a thousand years that you spend in purgatory, but one day you'll make it to God. And Luther and Tyndall and all these other people, they said, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous because that's not what the apostles taught. That's not what scripture tells us. God's word tells us exactly who we are in Christ Jesus, that we are made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus. And it's by his righteousness that we are made right before a holy God. And it's before that holy God that we are accepted into the family of God. And because we are accepted into the family of God, we are accepting of and gain uh, a tribute to his inheritance. And we live in that and that we are sealed in the Holy Spirit of God for eternity to live and to move and to enjoy his presence one day. That's not the truth they were getting until they got this word in their hands. And so why does this matter to us? A couple things and we'll be done. What can we learn from his story and what can we learn from what it means for us? William Tyndall being the first man to fight for an English translation of the Bible. Why does it matter? First thing is I want us to understand is this. Where God leads us may not be where the world wants us. Okay? Where God leads us in our Christian faith may not be where the world wants us. And we have to be confident in that. You know, for, for Tyndall, he knew, he knew, like Luther did, he knew that this is not the God of the Bible that these people are hearing about. This is not the God of the Bible that people are being taught and people need to know who God is. And so not only were they fighting against the culture around them, but they were also fighting against what seemed to be the religious, uh, the religious prestige of the world. But they knew the task he had was not accepted and would cause him much trouble, even his life. But he was equipped for it. You know, growing up as a farmer, you know, he, he knew hard work. He knew what it meant to fight the elements of the world around him, to, to, to cultivate, to, to see things grow and develop from hard work and, and attention to detail and, and giving of time. He knew what it meant. He was being equipped for, for, for this task from an early age. He had the education. He had the resources. He had the thing that he needed that prepared him to step into this role, the sacrifice, this sacrifice for what? What was all this for? And what are you, what are we being equipped for? You know, I think back even on my own life and I think about the different jobs and the different phases of life that I've navigated. And man, it's always so clear when you look back and you can see, man, God has prepared me for this moment. God has prepared me for exactly where I am now, doing exactly what I'm doing now, whether it's in my job, whether it's in my church, whether it's with my family. God has been doing things in my life to prepare me and equip me for this. And it's the same for all of us here. It's the same for you. God has been equipping you. He has used every phase of your life to equip you for exactly where you are now to do what? Same thing he did with Tyndall and the same thing he does with us. To equip us for the good of people. For the good of people. And he knew. And this isn't just, I'm not talking about shallow, like just make people happy, provide their needs. Even, even though it includes that much deeper than that. Making sure people know who God is. Be good to the people by letting the people know who God is. Letting them know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He said this. He said, let every man of 
whatsoever craft or occupation he be of, serve his brethren. That's why we've been equipped with what we have. That's why we have the jobs we have. That's why we have the families we have. That's why we have the influences we have. That's why we have the interests we have. That's why we have the life experience we have. For what? Not only to bring glory to God, but to serve each other. To be present for each other. To stand in the gap with each other. Tyndall knew he had all of this education, all of these things for one goal. He could have been, he could have been a, a, a college professor. He could have been a, a renowned author, a philosopher. He could have been a lot of different things. A theologian within the scope of that church life. He said, no. He said, I'm going to use all of my experience, everything that God has blessed me with, to oppose these people who are doing wrong and hurting my brothers and sisters. He says, people need to know who God is. And I'm going to use everything I have for the good of others. And listen, not everybody's going to understand. Sometimes we want, to, we want our Christian callings. We want the calling we have as Christians and the way we use our situation and gifting to fit very comfortably into our current life and lifestyle. And sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes God is calling us to be uncomfortable. Sometimes God is calling us to step out of this space. But the reality is is that God has not called us to be comfortable, and in many ways our calling will lead us into conflict with the world around us. And we stand for who God is, and we stand for what God has called us to. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-21 says, For the word of the cross is, cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through what? And I love this. It says, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I love that, that Paul even writes here. He's like, listen, the foolishness of a, of a preacher, of a teacher... Even in my best attempt, it's foolishness when lined up to God. Even the best preacher you know, when lined up with the truths about God and the true wisdom of God, it's foolishness. But even in that foolishness, even in its frailty, even in its fault, people will be saved who believe because of the preaching of it, because of God's Word, because of the truths. And even though the rest of the world may see it as foolishness, he says, it's saving, and it's rescuing, and it's healing. The second thing is this. Not only where God leads us, it may not be where the world wants us. The second and last thing is this. If the Lord is leading us there, He'll make sure it matters. If the Lord is leading us there, He'll make sure that it matters. You know, Tyndall knew that the Word of God was the only hope for man, and they needed to know it and grow from it. He knew that. And because of what he did, he provided us a way. We stand here today because of the works that he began. Now other people would come behind him and, and see those works. You know, when we talk about this all the time, you know, there's a lot of things in life that we will pour our lives into and invest in that we may not see the benefits of initially. We may not see the fruit that grows from it. You know, we not, may not sit under the shade of the tree that grows from the seed that we planted. But if we do what God has called us to do, it will matter, and he'll make sure of it. He said this. He said, the law and the gospel are two keys. 
He said, the law is the key that shutteth up all men under condemnation. And the gospel is the key which opens the door and lets them out. We have the key to freedom. So many people around us living in slavery to sin and shame and guilt. But he says we have the gospel that leads us to freedom. And his life, for him, his life would end because of his calling. His life would end because of his calling. And we would say, well, that seems really extreme, right? Why would, they, why would someone's life have to end just because they have a, a passion about God's word and letting it get out there to regular people? But that should help us understand how, how viciously the enemy does not want us to have God's word. You know, there are still places all over the world today where God's word is outlawed. Where you can not only get imprisoned, but you can get executed for having God's word available and in your home. And so what, what would happen with Tyndall? In October of 1536, he was imprisoned and he eventually was sentenced to death. He was strangled, he was burned, and his body was blown apart by gunpowder. They wanted to make sure, right? Just the lack of mercy, the, just the viciousness, the evil that is coming against God's word in these moments because someone just wanted us to be able to read it. And at some point during this process, one of his famous last words we've talked about in the past before, one of his famous last words was this, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. His last words, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. And so listen, where the Lord leads us and the work He leads us to, He'll make sure it matters even if we don't see it. That it's worth our investment even if we don't see it come to fruition. Because what happens? Three years after Tyndall's death, by 1539, through the agreement of the king of who? King of England. Using the work of Tyndall, every parish or every kind of church community in England would have access to an English translated Bible. Three years after his death. And over the next 70 years, over 2 million copies of the Bible would be sold in England. And much of what would be the original King James Bible was based off of William Tyndall's work. Tyndall knew that the God of the universe was on his side. And that the word of God was worth it all for the sake of knowing Christ truly and personally. That's what he wanted us to be able to do. He wanted us to be able to know Christ personally. He wanted us to be able to have this word. He wanted us to be able to have a resource. Whenever you're at home, whenever you're on the road, you know, and we have this resource in a lot of different avenues, podcasts and all kinds of things now. And I think the oversaturation, over-availability of it has caused us to take it for granted but my challenge and my prayer for us, knowing that there have been people who have literally given their lives because the enemy has fought tooth and nail to keep us from having this word. And even today, people still fight to keep this word out of our hands or to mistranslate it or even to church people to misspeak it as they used to, just in a new fancy concerty way. 
But Tyndall wanted us to be able to know Christ personally. So did Luther. Tyndall would say this, Christ is with us until the world's end. Let his little flock be bold, therefore. So that's our challenge this morning as the worship team comes and we're going to end with a time of worship. But that's the challenge to us is to live life bold knowing that Christ is on our side. Live life bold, wanting to see, serving our brother, knowing that if Christ is leading us somewhere, that he will be with us, he will protect us, and he will make sure it matters. You know, we've lived five years as a church, and I am so thankful to God for that. And you know know what? I pray that every day that me or Garen or whoever else invests in the life of this church, that our investment is not just so that we can see and reap the benefits of it, but that we can have the confidence that if even if I never see it, that God will make it matter to something. That God will make it matter for someone. That God will use whatever work we do now that maybe sometimes seems monotonous. You know, we get here, we come here, we sit, we worship, we sing, we read, we meet, we do all these things that sometimes feels monotonous to us. But in the monotony that we work, we can see the majesty of God working things out in the lives of broken people who desperately need to know Jesus Christ. A community of poor and needy people that need people standing beside them to encourage them, to provide for them. That God is giving us the resources and He's giving us the lane to run and He's showing us the ways to go. And that He's telling us this morning that I've led you there I will make it matter. Tyndall's work, God made it matter. That for for years, a decade, almost, the world was pressing against the work of Tyndall to get this book into our hands. Pressing against him. And in just three years, three years, every church community in England had a Bible. And that over the next 70 years, 2 million. 2 million. God will make what we do for him matter, whether we see the results of it or not. So what is it our, our calling to do? Just like Tyndall, he knew that the gain of his life was not in what the world could give to him, but what he could fight to give to the world. What he could fight to give to the world. Too often we're living life by what we can gain from it. It's not about what we can gain from it. It's about what we can give in it. What we can give in the midst of it. What I can give to my wife, my kids, what we can give to our church, what we can give to our friends, what we can give to the people around us that desperately need Christ. Revelation 12, 11, he said this, John writes, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even on to death. Luke 9.25, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? Because Tyndall knew, and I pray that we would know, that there's no gain, there's no gain greater than what we can give for, for God. What we can give for God in the midst of our families, in the midst of our communities, in the midst of where we are. And Matthew 24.35 says, heaven and earth will pass away But my words, my words will not. My words will not. And I just want to read this this morning as I was reading the Proverbs for today. Proverbs 5 and 6. It says, every word of God proves true. 
He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. You know, and right before this, he's saying, you know, Agar, the writer here, he says, I'm weary. I'm broken. And then he moves directly into a section where he says, every word of God proves true. We need to know our purpose. We need to know our worth. We need to know our identity. We need to know our value. We're not going to find it in the things around us. We're not going to find it in the extracurriculars that we do. We're not going to find it in our jobs. We're not going to find it in our finances. We're not even going to find it in our families. We're going to find our identities in Christ. And it's through that that He will empower us, that He will equip us, that He will give us the direction that we desperately need to stand in the places that He's called us to. And that God is good. Now, God is worthy of our sacrifice. So, church, with our eyes closed and heads bowed, if you'd pray with me this morning, I just want to ask you to consider a couple things. First thing being this, that, that we would think about our relationship to a holy God. Where, where does our relationship to a holy God play into the story of Scripture and what God is doing in His people? And as He's taken regular people like William Tyndall and Martin Luther and He's made massive movements for our good, that we would just ask God to reveal to us, Lord, where is our passion and the places that we distribute value lie? Lord, do we have passion for you? Do we have passion for your word? That we would be asking ourselves that. Lord, do we have passion to see the people around us know the truth of who God is? Lord, I pray that as Christians this morning, you would stir up. Lord, you would stir up a, a desire and a passion for the truths of your word. That you would stir up a passion within us to see the work of Jesus manifested in the lives that we live as Christians, Lord. And maybe for, for those here this morning that have not put their faith in you and trust in you, Lord, maybe because they've heard the message that Luther and Tyndall fought so hard to, to back, them, back their people away from or to, to, to replace this message with, but they've heard the message that their shame and their sin are too much. That there's no place at the table for them. That God has no need for broken, sinful, nasty people. And so they've always kept God at an arm's distance. Father God, I pray this morning. But if any need to come to know you and accept you and make a proclamation of faith about who you are and what you can do in their life, Father God, I pray you give courage and let them know, Lord, that you've called us simply to believe and to put our faith in you and that you will save us through your work and not our own, sealing us in eternity in a way that only you can do and that we can't do for ourselves. Father God, I pray as we sing this morning that we would just worship you in spirit and truth, knowing about what you are and how you work, Lord. And I pray, I pray that we would just know you deeper. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church, sing with us this morning.